0: Great to have you here on the Alex Pearson show. We've been talking about the numbers which are going in the wrong direction. And I don't need to tell you if you're waiting for a medical procedure of any kind, then uh, you're waiting a long time. And we've got 21 million procedures backlogged since the pandemic, and that's going to take years to clear. But when you look at the numbers from 2021 to 2022, 1,417 people in the province of Ontario died waiting for services. But of course... That's only the numbers we're allowed to see. So this is just a snapshot, which I think reveals a sobering reality about our universal health care. Colin Craig is president of Think Tank, He joins us now. Good to have you, Colin. It's been a while.
1: Well, thank you for having me, Alex. We appreciate it.
0: You know, I've been talking about this, um, you know, kind of I've been talking about this a lot lately because I just don't think it's a problem we can ignore anymore. But when you see the numbers broken down the way you guys have done it, it's pretty it's pretty shocking uh, to see the numbers going up that way. We've always known waiting lists are a thing. But when you look at it, I mean, we are basically picking winners and losers.
1: Yeah, it's it's, uh, you know, I think what we need to reflect on is that the healthcare system was in a crisis before COVID came along. And what COVID did is it made a bad situation worse. But uh, definitely we need to be thinking and talking about healthcare reform because these numbers are going in the wrong direction. They were getting worse and worse and worse. And there's some pretty sad stories behind them. We have no doubt. The problem is that the Ontario government hasn't provided any real details behind these numbers. So we know 1,417 patients died in that last uh, fiscal year. We don't know what they were waiting for while they were waiting for surgery. Was it a a hip operation? Was it a heart procedure? You're probably not going to die because you don't get your hip operation in time. But certainly some patients have died in Ontario because they haven't received their heart operations in time. And we talked to one mother who told us about her daughter, and that's exactly what happened with her. So we have no doubt that there are some uh, very tragic stories behind these. And, you know, I, I wouldn't dismiss cases where patients are dying waiting for hip operations and knee operations and those types of things because that would affect their quality of life during their final year or two years or however long they're waiting. So no one wants to be stuck in their apartment with chronic pain during their final year. I mean, that would be a horrible way to go. So we we definitely think there needs to be more information released from the government, and certainly we hope that they've done more analysis to look into these uh, to provide more details like other provinces do.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's not until you've got chronic pain in your hips or your knees or your back or wherever uh, that you start to realize uh, your quality of life is uh, reduced every day, and then the longer you wait, then everything else starts to hurt, and then before you know it, you're taking pills to help you feel better, and that that can turn into a whole bunch of other addictive issues, and then you can find yourself with mental health issues. I mean, it all, it's like a domino. But what, you guys got your information through a Freedom of Information request, and so look, that's really the only way we can hold governments to account these days, but it is getting harder and harder to get information that belongs to us. So what, do, what are you waiting for? Because you're challenging this. But what is it that you're waiting for to be able to tell the true story here?
1: Well, let me tell you what Nova Scotia does. They will provide details on what is happening behind patient deaths that occur while they're waiting for uh, surgery in the province, while they're on a waiting list. They will tell you for each case when the patient went on the waiting list how long it was until they, they passed away, how that compared with the recommended wait time uh, if a surgery was scheduled. Uh, they also certainly tell you what the patient was waiting for, which is one of the most important pieces of information. And they'll even tell you, for example, last year they said there were 367 patients in Nova Scotia who died waiting for surgery. And they said of those, 51 were cases where the patient was waiting for procedure which could have potentially saved their life. And then they break it down even further. And they say, okay, of those 51 who are waiting for things like heart surgeries and that, uh, over three-quarters of them had waited longer than the recommended wait time. So that's a really good way of getting at the data to examine just, you know, how much of a problem there is, how many patients are passing away because the government essentially is letting them die, letting them down. And so the, the numbers from Ontario, from Nova Scotia, they're not good. But the data quality is good, and it can help that government identify the problem, uh, analyze it, be accountable to the public, and we're just not getting that from the province of Ontario.
0: Yeah, I, I mean, look, I, I don't think it would surprise anybody when you look at the urban centers. Like, obviously, Toronto is the busiest of the the, the you know. It's- Not the most people. So this is where you're going to see some of the problems, you know, becoming the worst. I mean, um, if I go to Hamilton or Barrie, you can get like an MRI or a CAT scan sooner. If you're in Toronto, you're, you're up against a lot more people. And so I would be very interested. And I don't know if you have that kind of data to break down which areas of the province are actually suffering the most, um, uh, deaths because of the long waits.
1: You know, that's something we've been trying to get at. Uh, We have received some data from from different hospitals in Ontario. uh, And some of them are quite good. I'll give a shout out to Hamilton Health Sciences Centre. They provide very extensive data. So you can find the type of information like I was talking about with Nova Scotia. It's not quite the same, but it's certainly a lot better. And the interesting thing is that Ontario Health says, well, we can't release any more data because it's confidential. And they
0: also well, us, we're, not, we're not asking you know, for people's names. I'm not asking for your prognosis. Well, <laughs> like, exactly. You know.
1: We've we've been pretty clear, too, across the country when we research this. We don't want patient names. We want patients to have their confidentiality. We, we definitely don't want to breach that. But we do want the details behind these cases anonymously so that we can understand just how what's happening with patient suffering in this country. And so, you know, Ontario Health says well, it's confidential. but. Yet uh, Hamilton Health Sciences Centre is operating under the same freedom of information laws, and they provide a ton more information. Uh, Ontario Health also says, well, we don't have the information. It's like, well, which is it? Um, and if you don't have the information, my goodness, why don't you have the information? Shouldn't you be concerned and in looking into these details? Shouldn't you be analyzing and informing the minister how many patients are dying on waiting lists each year Uh, while waiting for procedures which could have potentially saved their lives. I mean, there's generally speaking in Canada, there's a real lack of accountability when it comes to uh, analysis and tracking of data and releasing that information to the public when it comes to patients suffering, because you just mentioned that there's all kinds of ways that patients suffer beyond losing their life on a waiting list. Patients will they you know, be put on a year or two-year long waiting list for hip surgery. They're dealing with chronic pain. They're popping painkillers, and then they end up with mm-hmm. liver problems because they've been popping painkillers for so long. Uh, some patients said develop depression. Some have suicidal thoughts. I mean, these are all very tragic side effects from long waiting lists that happen in this country, and governments do not uh, track that information and disclose it, but they certainly should.
0: Well, they should. I mean, because we have no other choice of where to get our medical care in this country. And the Canada Health Act should have said at the beginning and seen like we need an accountability check. Provinces must put information up. But it's not in the interest of the government of the day to put information that doesn't play well uh, out there. And so, look, there's plenty of blame to go around government to government on who is is failing to act and deliver what we pay billions of dollars for. Were you able to find out in your data? I mean, the waiting lists aren't new. Have you been able to go back in time and see if, um, you know, if, if there were other blips along the way that we had seen at any other time in our history? Because waiting lists used to be a really big story, but we just don't even talk about it now because it's just like it's just been accepted.
1: Yeah, and, and that is, I think, one of the... the biggest problems that we face in this country when we talk about healthcare reform is that people have sort of become numb to this idea that waiting a year to get your hip done is normal. That is not normal. You talk to people in other countries that have universal healthcare systems and, you know, quite often they're getting their their uh, those types of procedures done a lot faster. The uh, Commonwealth Fund in the United States, they do a big international report on healthcare systems Um Incidentally, the, they rank the U.S. 11th of 11 countries. Canada's yeah. second, last, at 10th. But the countries yeah. all ahead of us, when they do this research, they all have shorter waiting lists. They have universal health care systems, countries like Australia, Sweden, Norway. And I, I think this is what often gets distorted by special interest groups who don't want reform. They want everyone to think it's our, choice, our system or the U.S. And that is just such a perverse way of looking at this, the situation. There are lots of countries that do the same thing like Canada. They cover everyone. No one's going to go bankrupt because they you know, they have a heart operation or whatever. Um, and ultimately they what they do differently is they have those public choices like we have. They also allow private choices so patients have more options available to them. And those who want to pay out of pocket well they can go to a private clinic and they're taking pressure off of the public health care system. So those on public waiting lists um, they get to move ahead in line every time someone decides to pay for it. So I mean yeah. that is one big benefit of these other models and, and ultimately but, they, they provide better care to patients.
0: I know, but but you know we get the same union kind of rhetoric you know, that it can't work, that we'll be stealing doctors and nurses, that people with no choice will be left with a, a bad choice or uh, you know, people under the margins will will have, you know, substandard care, which is just not true. But I mean for the unions it comes down to protecting their dues. They want to make sure that they're robust, so they don't want to see any other system coming in. Have you seen the conversation change now? Uh, because you've been looking into health policy for a really long time. Have you started to see a shift now that you actually think might lead to some changes?
1: Uh, yes, yes, is the short answer. And, you know, I've been following healthcare on and off for 20 years now, and I, I do think that we've seen a few change in terms of what people talk about when it comes to reform, where the public opinion is at. I know that from the start of the pandemic until uh, this past fall, there was about an 11% jump in the number of Canadians who support this idea of giving patients more choice outside of the public system. So, you know, mm-hmm. to be clear, that would mean that you could still go to a government hospital and get your care and sit on a waiting list and whatever, and you're not going to have to pay for it. You're paying for it through your taxes. Uh, but you would also have this, this choice of going to maybe a nonprofit clinic down the street and paying for it or maybe a private clinic. So, that mm-hmm. type of idea uh, has uh, support among a majority of Canadians. It's over 60%. And there's, like I said, there's a 10% jump. And I think what's happened is that Canadians are just fed up with waiting. I mean, the, the stories, Alex, are just incredible yeah. in this country. They're so sad. Uh, you know, I mm-hmm. mentioned a, a nurse uh, in Ontario, a retired nurse. She lost her daughter uh, due to mm-hmm. a long waiting list uh, for health, a heart procedure. It was an entirely preventable procedure. And now that, sadly, that daughter's gone, leaving behind uh, a few kids. Um, What's what's crazy is that this is actually the second time that that uh, retired nurse has lost a daughter due to long waiting lists on Ontario's healthcare system. The other one had passed away many years prior. But Those types of things are happening. We've got senior citizens who were living like very active lives and suddenly they develop a hip problem or a knee problem or whatever. They're dealing with chronic pain. They're stuck in their apartments. I mean, it's, it's just, it's terrible how we treat patients in this country. We have a, a government monopoly, for the most part, that is, is often failing. And at the same time, the government's just not allowing patients any other choice, really, but leaving their province, and in many cases, their country, to go and get the care they need. Yeah. So it's, uh, we, we need a, a very serious, mature conversation in this country about health care reform if we're ever going to improve outcomes
0: for patients hundred percent. We need basic leadership, Colin. That's what we need. Um, We'll talk again because every time you send me your data, I'm just like, what? Oh, my God. But uh, I'll uh, look forward to seeing the data once you're able to hopefully finagle that. Thank you.
1: Thanks a lot, Alex. Appreciate it.
0: That is Colin Craig. He is with uh, the think tank SecondStreet.org. They look into this, they watch for it, and they're revealing what a lot of us, I think, knew. Uh, But just don't talk about it. As long as we're not talking about it. You look at the numbers like they're just numbers. No, no, these are people. People's stories, people's lives, and I've heard many, many stories from a lot of listeners who share their stories, and it's, it's tragic. I'm Alex Pearson of The Alex Pearson Show. You're listening to 640 Toronto.